everyone welcome to the steve perryman podcast again thanks for tuning in um people tell me various things over the course of the weeks and i should smile more and shouldn't show so much of the top of my head and all that stuff which i sort of agree with but this week actually there's not so much to smile about is there and um so uh We'll talk later a little bit about the cup final uh, last Sunday, and I'm sure that most people are on the same page as the three of us. That's Howard and Tom doing all their usual good stuff behind the scenes or on the scene. Um, yeah, internet problem that hasn't been sorted out yet after about six months living in this new house, newish house. Uh, but I've just leveled that up with a nice sausage and mash, one of my favorite meals. So um, it's not the, the food element that's that's making me a little bit down. Um, but actually, with regard to Sheffield United, I don't think I've got much to say. I've lost interest in Sheffield United since they let a very good manager go called Chris Wilder, um, who had two at least two brilliant seasons to get them up to the, the premiership and or premier league, I should say. And with a, a difficult season, that's surely coming to anyone who makes the big step up from the championship. Uh, they've got rid of him and, and maybe staff. I don't know about that, but uh, I, I have had experience of, of managing, coaching, whatever leading against uh, Chris Wilder's teams from the conference days when he was in charge of uh, Halifax and I've kept an eye on him and I think he's one of the honest most honest managers we have around and uh, for them to toss him away as, as if as if by getting relegated it's he's done some sort of crime and I think they need to look at Norwich who didn't get rid of their manager when they got relegated, um, stayed with him, and guess what? He's just gotten back up again. Um, I see Cheltenham Town, which is not a million miles away from where I'm living. They've just got promoted, um, and their manager, I think it was nine games without a win at the start of this season. Did somebody panic? No. They stayed with it. They stayed with what they believed was a good manager. And I can't believe Sheffield United did not think that Chris Wilder was a good manager. Stuck with him and then ended up being rewarded with a, um, a promotion. So as part of the reason why I'm, this, this, this podcast today probably won't go on so long as normal because I think neither the three of us have have much to say about Sheffield United other than perhaps they're more relaxed now and they'll make it even more difficult than they've tended to do over the last couple of years uh, where they certainly blooded some noses of, of the more powerful clubs um, and I think that's down to the manager and um, I feel very sorry for him to uh, to be out of work so um, so let's get going um, do we want to 
Howard, you're going to actually lead us on to good things because next podcast we're going to talk about the great double team uh, because it's an anniversary next week of, of their famous feat. Uh, first first team this century to win the, the, the famous double. And I think you've got some information for us, How just to wet our whistle uh, about what's coming next week. Before you do, I'm still promising to get a, a player from that era. Maybe... Um, Terry Dyson or, or Cliff Jones. I've left messages and stuff, but uh, nothing's quite happened yet, but I'm sure it will do. So, um, so yeah, the other thing I forgot to mention, it's also a, a uh, I think it was April the 28th, which was probably a couple of days ago, was the, I'm going to read this now, because um, it's actually a, a bit of a favourite of mine. On this day, in 1951, Kobo-born striker wrote his name into Tottenham folklore. He scored the only goal of the game as Spurs beat Sheffield Wednesday to clinch their first ever league title. It had a great season that season. He was a top goal scorer. He scored his first goal for us against Sheffield Wednesday on his debut. So for him to score in the same game in the 50-51 season was astounding. For Spurs to win the league, it was amazing. That was said by John Fenley, who I've just had a lovely conversation with. John tells me about um, Len Dukwamin, the, the chap I'm talking about. Yeah. Len passed away in 2003, but his memory lives on in Guernsey and... Um, John was explaining to me about him and and um, how he come to be at Spurs and he he after his career finished he stayed in the North London area he he had a noose agent's shop not far from the ground and when Tottenham used to win cups in the old days and we had the coach trips through the local roads going to the, the City Hall, Civic Hall, um, the bus would stop and pass the cup through the top window to, to Len, who Len then showed everyone the cup local to where he was staying. When the, um, when the news agents finished, Len took over running a pub in Cheson. I don't unfortunately know the name of that, but Len also got married to a Tottenham lady, um, and got married on the morning of a game. Can you imagine that happening these days? And then went to the game after the ceremony uh, with the buttonhole in his, in his suit, I suppose, and therefore walked into the dressing room. Everyone applauded him and he took his jacket off and, and went out and played the game. And all the ladies close to the, the uh, tunnel where you come out were throwing confetti over him and all that stuff. I think he led the team out that day even. So uh, there's also a story, and we'll get John Fenley on one day on this podcast to talk about all these things happening behind the scenes that, that people may or may not know about. Not necessarily football things. And and one of the things he said about um, Len Dukerman, who was brought up on Guernsey, um, 
which is a particular favourite of mine. I know holidays are a bit uh, of a no-go area at the moment, but if anyone ever wants to go to a great island with wonderful people, great, great people, and of course we've got a link there, Tottenham Hotspur, because of Len Duperman, as we have with, with uh, Jersey for um, Chris Jones. But um, when the uh, Germans invaded uh, Guernsey, uh, Len Duperman needed to sort of stay out the way and he became a gardener at, at a monastery and that was his way of sort of surviving in that uh, that very troubled era so you know there's lots of these things behind footballers the story behind them is is sometimes as important or maybe more important than the the life that you know about as a as a footballer so um well done len for for scoring the winning goal for turning that team the push and run team that got promoted the year before to then become champions in their first year 50 51 famous team and um howard's now gonna just give us a little bit of information as i say to wet our whistle for what's coming next week as per another bill nick team bill nick played in the 50 51 team and he managed the 60-61 double team. So, fire away, Howard, and welcome. Thanks very much. Uh, you're taking the start of my thunder. Ah, I'm <laughs> sorry about that, Howard. Could, could have been either way. Um, just confirming that next week sees the anniversary, the 70th anniversary of our 1951 league title and the 60th anniversary of the double. That's the reason the season ends in one, because we have all these things to talk about at the same time. Okay. The double was, of course, the Holy Grail, winning the league and FA Cup in the same season. Danny Blanchflower, who was captain of our side, as well as the philosopher of the team, said to the chairman before the season started, we will win the double. He was right. The league cup had not been created as yet, and the European Games were still in their infancy, and as usual, the FA, in their arrogance, told the English clubs not to enter. Only Manchester United initially defied them. This is just to wet your lips for our podcast next week. You can catch some interviews with players of the double side, that is Cliff Jones, Bobby Smith and Terry Dyson, being interviewed by Jeff Stelling a few years ago. It's on YouTube, it's called The Time of Our Lives, you'll find it. Yeah, interestingly, I um, I helped arrange that. Glenn Hoddle phoned me, Howard, um, to take part in the, the programme, somebody's idea, time of our lives. And of course, our one was about the early 80s, a sort of purple patch, and myself, Glenn, and Ozzy. So we... I, I did say to Glenn, by the way, Glenn, how much is this? So it's a thousand pound fee. And I said, Glenn, do you know how many times they're going to show this, this program? Anyway, meaning that it's not a great fee. But anyway, we did it and had great fun and had so much fun. That at the end of it, I found the chap whose idea it was for the program. And I said, listen, talking about the 80s team, why don't you do a program, time of their lives, for the 60s team, the double team, much more important team? He said, well, where would I find the 
the players? Are the players still around? So I said, yeah, Cliff Jones is obviously around. Uh, Terry Dyson and Bobby Smith, as you quite rightly said, Howard. So uh, he got in touch with it, with the three of them. Uh, maybe tried some other numbers as well, but it was it was like a threesome program. And um, the chap phoned me back a couple of days after he'd arranged it all with them and said, Steve, I need to tell you this story. He said, I phoned Terry Dyson and I explained to him what the program was about. And we want stories from the 60-61 team. Little ideas you have or stories you remember, things that happened in the dressing room, read Bill Nicholson and etc. And um, and before you ask, Terry, the fee's going to be a thousand pounds. So anyway, yes, of course, I'll do it. Let me know. Keep me in touch with this, etc. And at the end of the conversation, this is the point of him phoning me. Um, he said, Terry thought he'd put the phone down, but he hadn't. So I could hear him say to his wife about the thousand pound. Yes, yes, yes. Can you imagine what a thousand pound meant to players from that era? Great players that they were, household names, superstars in their own time. Um, but of course, on very low money. And um, there was me sort of saying, oh, that's not enough. And Terry Dyson had that sort of reaction. So just shows you how things change over the years. But, but you're right, Howard, I love that program. I loved hearing the stories behind the scenes. And actually one story before people tune into it and watch it is that, uh, and it's got a link with um, Sheffield United. They were talking about how, I think Cliff said, Bill Nicholson knows more about football than any person I've ever met in my life. Remember this was years after being a player. And um, they said, one day they came in against Sheffield United, one nil up. And he absolutely went berserk, Bill Nicholson, went berserk at them and went for it and went for it and went for it. And somebody said, one of the players, must be brave man, said, Bill, but we're winning. We're winning one nil, as if Bill had forgotten. And Bill said, if you keep playing like that, we'll bloody lose this game. And guess what? They lost 3-1. So says something about Bill and the warnings that he gave out. And um, of course, you can give as many warnings as you want and players don't always take them. So this happened to be a good day for Sheffield United. Um, yeah. So chaps, um, if you can muster any opinion on the final on Sunday, we don't want to delve too deep in it, but uh, any opinion you've got would be, we're welcome to hear. Tom. Yeah, horribly disappointing day. Uh, the starting lineup confused me a bit. I didn't really understand a couple of the uh, the decisions made in terms of the the, the players who started the game and uh, particularly players who were on the bench. Um, and right from the off, we just looked like we were trying to contain them, um, and we didn't really do a very good job of that. It was just wave after wave of attacks. I mean, I thought the defence played well. The midfield, uh, we didn't really ever seem to have one we 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 never kind of 
gave the defence much protection. We never created much going forward. There was no link with the attack. Um, and it was a very heavy 1-0 defeat in the end. Uh, it felt like the kind of game where where we just never, ever looked like we were going to get anything. Having said that, uh, I found it quite disappointing. And, and this is where I get quite defensive of, of my team, um, the way we got slated in the media, um, m- almost mocked for being part of this top six, um, part of this kind of, obviously, the, the hangover of the European Super League discussions was was, was present throughout the throughout the game and throughout the conversation over the last uh, the last week or so and you know we as fans and 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 the pundits have been kind of questioning where we belong in in how we how we get referred to in in the in the league whether we belong in this kind of big six conversation and i get frustrated because we do we're there on merit um based on what we've achieved over the last um the last 10 years at least and we've done it the right way. We've grown the club organically. We've grown our position organically. We haven't had huge cash injections like other clubs have. Um, and you know, we've built we built a team which is clearly at the end of its cycle now. And it looks like we're going to have to really have a big a big overhaul of things. But you know, the last few years we've done we've done really well. We've had some memorable moments. Yes, we haven't won a trophy, but we have firmly cemented ourselves in a strong position in in the league, or at least we had. Uh, who knows which direction we're going now? But I just find it frustrating when Manchester City get endless praise uh, and the elephant in the room, which it now seems to be in certain, when the conversations I've had, particularly on Sky, where the money just doesn't get mentioned. And mm. they can buy who they want. They can pay what they want. Uh, it's no wonder they're the best team in the world and probably one of the best teams we've ever seen in this country. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, we we just don't have that resource yet. We've, um, yeah, we, we, we've managed to get where we are in the league um, on a consistent basis up until the last year or so. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, in, we're in these conversations on merit as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Howard, you've got some comment about the same same... Some of, some of the same things that I, certainly I think when they publish league tables, results tables, if they said played one, lost, drawn, money spent, would at least highlight to the, to the readers, oh, there's some consequence to this. Pat Guardiola may well be the best coach of all time, may well be, but I'd just like to see him do it from a mid-table side without limitless resources. I think we could all yeah. do a certain amount of good if he had the resources that he's got. Um, the, the rest of it, where we are where, where we are on Sunday and where we're going, um, I found very difficult, probably much tougher than I've other, other defeats. You were there, weren't you, Howard? I was there, um, which actually was, it was nice to be in the, in the atmosphere, but the, the angle of the sun was such that the first half I was blinded every time I looked that way. So I really couldn't tell you that for me the game wasn't that bad. <laughs> couldn't see some of it. Um, so I think on the top six thing, I'm, I'm, expo- I'm concerned that we've been exposed to that, to that. People thinking now, thinking, why are Spurs in this list? And actually, I don't think we have done enough in the last six years in order to justify it. Um, and I'm very concerned about assuming Harry goes and it looks very much like he is going to go. What happens to the money that they, they get in? Are the banks going to insist on money being repaid or is legally going to be 
free to use your money as he sees fit. Even then, I've got queries with him doing much of the transfer business. But um, that's my concern. I think that uh, the squad that we've got left is pretty average players, not not top-class premiership players. Um, and unless we do something serious, I think we could have a serious problem ahead of us. There is, there is talk that Levy is, is looking at a um, director of football again this time around, which... Um... You know, could be a, a a good thing if 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 we get more kind of method behind the player purchase than uh, than than like you say, worrying about how he spends the money. It's just a title, though, isn't it? It's a title. Whether you're called director of football or you're called recruitment manager, the man recruiting. Well, it's eventually decisions have to be made on players. And I read something the other day about uh, Leicester City, the players that they've lost to bigger clubs for a lot of money, and then the players that they've replaced them with. And that seems to be a problem for us, doesn't it? After Bow went, for instance, how many of those players signed after Bow was sold have, have cut the mustard as such. And, you know, this, this, what you're talking about, the top six and whether we deserve to be in there or not, it sort of depends on what is success. And having been at a club like Exeter City in the depths with no budget, no investment, and then you only get to the playoff final and lose, you get killed. You get killed by the public. <laughs> who do not understand that you're in the bottom third budget in that league. And it's the lowest league. So to get to the playoff final against people like Blackpool and Coventry that have had much, you know, much more better histories than us, they've been in the premiership. They've been in cup finals. They've got traditions. They've, stadium and and everything that goes with it so it's a very difficult that one that how do you judge a manager per point per pound going to something i understand a bit more is football i sent out texts with about 20 minutes to go during the game and i think i sent it to you too that said going back to a liverpool quote look for the dope identify the dope in the opposition who's going to fall asleep who's going to switch off who's going to be looking for airplanes up in the sky and then we go for it because that's going to happen and i have made the quote that i think man city have got one i don't need to name him and we've got about four or five because i think we have defensively so the foul gets given away, free kick, ball comes in. Sizoko doesn't even look like he knows where the possible danger's coming behind him and above him to put the ball in the net. And, you know, whether Hoiberg was right to be on the post and was he of the right frame of mind? Because if you're stood on that post, the only thought, the only mindset you can have is we are going to lose a header and I'm going to be called into play to clear this ball. You're, you're almost the same mindset as a wicketkeeper in a cricket match. 
the ball is coming through to you because if you're not sure and then all of a sudden it does this it's too late it's gone it's four runs or you've missed the catch or whatever so i intensely disliked the goal that beat us of course don't have to be a judge to know that but um but if you think about percentages of players being switched on or switched off, you know, last 20 minutes, the best we were going to do was get a draw if we could hold out long enough and, uh, and win on penalties, which wasn't to be. So the other thing was I, I intensely dislike um, pundits. I think they got too much to say um, with too little thought and not enough backup. But uh, I heard Carragher, not immediately after the game, but sometime between the game and now, and I saw it on um, Facebook, and he was given an explanation about in the early minutes of that game, how we showed our weaknesses. And the one thing I disagreed, I agreed with most of it, and I think it was very correct, but when he said he felt sorry for our two centre-backs because he felt that the midfield players were hiding, etc. Well, I disagree with him over, over um, the left centre-back, um, Dyer. I think Dyer only gets the ball when somebody wants to give it to him. He's not demanding for it. He's not asking for it. He's not expecting it. And therefore, he is in a state of uh, surprise when the ball comes to him. It's certainly not a state of readiness. And if it was readiness, because he is a midfield... If I, if, if, if I was talking about a stopper-type player, I wouldn't even be talking about this. A stopper there is to stop. And that's it. He stops the, the forward getting free. He stops him turning, etc., etc. And that's a job. Dyer is there as a midfield player who's now gone to the back. And he should be wanting to get the ball more. He should be in a state of readiness to get the ball, to start us off and free midfield players up. And I don't think we did that. You mentioned, Tom, earlier, you didn't think the midfield did very much. I think part of that is because we're not giving them enough freedom with the ball. Why should a centre-back with freedom on the ball, okay, not long, because you're playing against top-class opposition, but some freedom on the ball, why would you pass it to a midfield player that's marked? That is going from an advantage to a disadvantage. So I, I, I didn't like that part of Carragher's um, explanation. And um, and yeah, you were right. It was the heaviest one-nil defeat that we we could have possibly um, hoped for, as such. So disappointing. We're all disappointed. Um, would could we say that our team had a right go? No, we didn't get started to have a go, did we? Fourth, fourth cup final in a row where we haven't scored. Well, that's that's hell of a statistic that, and I, I think sometimes stats lie, but but not in this case. And um, so, upwards and onwards, we've got to um, we've got to improve. That's for sure. Hopefully, we can improve on 
on Sunday. Perhaps we can all be a bit happier next week. I can smile more when I'm looking at you all, these lovely faces of Tom and Howard. And um, just to let you know, I know some people are interested in this sort of stuff. I've got my second jab on Sunday at Bath Racecourse. So uh, I'll be happier when I've certainly got that. And um, yeah, let's, um, it's a time where we've, we've actually got to support our club and back our club, despite all the problems that seem to be cropping up just lately. And um, so, yeah, so thank you all for listening. Um, sorry about not so much information about Sheffield United. Um, but as I said, I, I personally am um, so disappointed in them that I've switched off. So, uh, so yeah. All right, Tom, thank you very much for your help. And Howard, thank you. I know Howard's got a six-year-old uh, birthday party there where he is. So thanks very much for, for um, cutting into your time, Howard. Say happy birthday to your lovely granddaughter and your, the rest of your family. And we'll see you next week. Come on, you Spurs.